It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week we're talking about body parts from 1991 as picked by me. Hey, so I picked this one because I saw this movie at VHS PS's booth, picked up a copy, watched it, and for the most part was like, yeah, oh, this movie sucks. Yeah. And then the last like 20 minutes happened and I was like, all right, this movie's pretty tight actually. Yeah. And uh, then uh, that's that's how my notes go. My notes are pretty <laughs> sparse and then I'm like, "Oh, Okay, I get it. <laughs> so, so I was like, man, I should pick body parts sometime. And then Cream Factory was like, guess what we're putting out on Blu-ray? And I was like, who? guess who's picking body parts now? <laughs> so now I got to watch the pristine Blu-ray with its deleted scenes and everything. So, uh, Oh, you're going to have to tell us what the deleted scenes are because uh, Brian and I did not watch the new version. Obviously. No, we did not. And, and they, they didn't even put them into the movie. You have to watch them as a separate feature. And it's like the original film stock. So it's all grainy and like it's a rough shot of what happened. But we'll get into there because it all happens in the very beginning. But the thing that I thought was really, really interesting about body parts when I was doing a little bit of research was that the advertising got pulled for this movie because Jeffrey Dahmer got caught in 1991 with body parts inside of his fridge. And they thought that it would be a bad look to release a movie called Body Parts. So the advertising got cut greatly. And but that's that sounds of- exactly like how you need to market this film. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I guess in 1991, they weren't as like vicious as we are, you yeah. know? I don't know, man. I, let's not give them too much credit. But yeah, so Body Parts, uh, for the first like hour of this movie, is basically just a thriller. It's like a weird little thriller about this guy who loses his arm. And then gets a, a you know, like this crazy surgery where they add someone else's arm to his body, but the arm 
seems to belong to a serial killer and maintains the memories of that killer. And it's a story that we've seen pretty often. I know that there was at least one anthology movie. I think it was Body Bags has like a story of someone getting uh, like the eyeball of a killer or something. I forget what it is. It's Mark Hamill. But it's not like. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Is Body Bags the one where the um, the aliens are doing the hair? Yes. Follicle. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, body bags is is crazy. It's a yeah. weird, weird. It was an attempt to create a new Tales from the Crypt series. So it's actually technically a TV movie that was shot as a pilot with I think it's John Carpenter playing yeah, John the Carpenter. yeah playing the mortician that's telling the stories of all the bodies in the morgue. But in this particular film, we don't have anything like that. Well, you think that that's where it's going, but it's not. So the character gets into a car accident, and that's where he loses his arm. And I will say. That watching him drive and stare at that loose tire getting looser and looser (laughs) is like one of my top anxieties when I'm driving on a like, I can't tell you how many times I have floored it to get past a car that I felt like I saw a wobbly wheel on because I did not want to be in a car accident. (laughs) But that is where we get our first deleted scene. He's laying there and he's got like a bloody stump where his arm used to be. Uh, on the pavement and he looks over and his actual arm is laying in the street away from him and it's still moving a little bit like it's almost like it's like still got like some motion going in there and he starts crawling his way up to it to reach out and grab it and then an 18 wheeler just comes and swooshes it (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) why did they take that out that's incredible that's yeah and he said yeah and he says like because there's a commentary track before the deleted scenes and he's like i just want to make it clear we cut these out for our own reasons this had nothing to do with the mpaa but basically the vibe that i got was that they they wanted to save all the gory craziness for the very, very end of the mm-hmm. movie because the other deleted scene is immediately after that during the surgery. You like literally see them tearing this entire body apart. So you see them like pulling the head off. You see them pulling the arms and legs off. And then they put the arm on a tray, like on a on a cart and the arms like moving and flopping around as they're like wheeling it over to his body to like start to like attach it. All that happens. He gets an arm and then like the next 30 minutes is like a you could just do without. Honestly, <laughs> I do take solace in the fact that although they cut that scene, they did save that idea for two years later when they made Mrs. Doubtfire and he drops his mask out the window. <laughs> but yeah, so like the next like 30 minutes of this movie is kind of just whatever. It's him getting used to the arm, like the arm effect with the stitches and everything is like a kind of weirdly upsetting shot, especially when you first see him in the hospital. And like the surgery scene is shot real trippy with like a lot of like fisheye lens and shit like that. But beyond this point, it's it's kind of just a boring like the hand just does whatever it wants until Brad Dorf shows up on the scene as like the kooky painter who like could give a shit that his hand is evil because it's making him a shit ton of money with its like really gross paintings that it's making. <laughs> this movie was dumb. It's funny because like critically critics were like this movie's amazing and then it falls apart in the third act and i'm like i <laughs> completely disagree the exact opposite <laughs> yeah, like like this movie is trash and then the third act happens and you're like where was that this whole movie <laughs> like yeah well the, the thing is that jeff Fahey, who is a very strange person <laughs> i would love to like oh well, here's here's the thing about jeff Fahey. um i would love to i i say at this moment in my life, I would love to watch some interviews with him 
and kind of like understand his like pathos yeah, or whatnot. He some weird early he 90s did. roles. He really sure. did. But also in the same breath, I don't give a shit. I don't yeah. give a shit enough to watch interviews with Jeff Fahey. Like, <laughs> I don't know why this, it's like going to the grocery store when you're hungry and you're like, that sounds good. And you take it home and you're like, eh, I could really do without that purchase. Oh, dude, let me tell you something. Pears, those uh, little <laughs> pears, those pears cups. I was like, oh, I got these in elementary school. They're great. Let's buy this instead of the actual fruit. I threw them out immediately. Yeah, just just buy a pair. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most adult thing I've ever heard a Kelly say, and I really appreciate that. It sounds like Brian turning thirty has actually affected him in a positive way. Well, I learned the hard way when I was nineteen. I got stoned, and I was like, you know what? I you know it was so good, baby food. So I went to Giant and I bought what? banana baby food, and it was disgusting. <laughs> Why are we feeding that to our babies? Just give them a titty. That's what they want. <laughs> Not much changes when you turn 30. <laughs> Can we talk about, there's a few moments where the arm clearly has a mind of its own. And one of those, which isn't supposed to be funny, but I laughed my ass off. Is he he slept the shit, out of, his shit out of his kid. <laughs> He's like, because the kid's just like, hey, daddy. And he's just like. <laughs> like, yeah, it's right? <laughs> like oh shit. He immediately uh, realized, like, as soon as he gets the tattoo, he goes to the fucking scientist, and and she's like, "Just because you have the arm of a killer doesn't make you a killer." And I was like, "This bitch is either lying or this is about to be a boring movie." And somehow <laughs> it was both. <laughs> <laughs> so he somehow convinces Brad Dorf and then other guy with legs because he's nothing in this <laughs> movie. Name Malcolm Mark, I think. But, oh, whatever. But I have the M right. Yeah, he's pointless. But he gets them to all go to a bar, and then his arm gets him into a bar fight. And there's the calmest nine one one call I've ever heard happening during the bar fight. Like it's clearly someone had to and ABR the line. They're way too fast. Yeah, it's literally he's just like. Yep, I need some cops, got a bar fight. Also, that guy is wearing a bow tie, which I just think is the funniest shit when you think back on bartenders in the in 80s movies. Well, I mean, I know this is an early 90s movie, but I don't know why, but it just, it's a weird trope that, yeah. that bartenders used to wear ties. Like, I was a bartender. I didn't wear a tie. I barely wore pants. <laughs> you didn't have to. You had the bar covering your waist up. Yeah. I wish they would have made the guy with no legs like they had such a great opportunity in that bar fight scene to just make the guy like a full on pacifist. And there's just this bar fight and he is kicking and stomping people's faces and just (laughs) screaming in agony because he doesn't want to hurt anyone. That would have been a great scene. They set it up too by having it be like, yeah, my leg, my legs just wanted to drive this car real fast. Yeah. We're way past this in the movie um, chronologically, but there is one line that I'm looking at in my notes that I wrote down. Jeff Fahey really goes balls to the wall. He yells a lot in this movie. It's so funny because he is like very quiet when he's talking to people, except the doctor. And he just yells the fuck out of her all, all the time. He's like, I'm here, fix me, God damn it!" And I was like, oh yeah. Same bro, that's me in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there's a casting choice that I can't decide if it's really progressive or really distracting. And it's that the 
the chief of police has got the thickest South African accent. Oh, I couldn't tell if it was that or Jamaican. Yeah, no, I looked it up because I was like, what is the story with this guy? And it, it wasn't was, a very good accent regardless. No, and it, maybe he's a very good actor in South Africa, but it certainly didn't make it seem like he was a very good actor in English <laughs> because <laughs> every delivery just felt like he was reading the line off the script. And that was as far as he was going to go with the acting choices in the movie. Like, I'm reading the words that you wrote on this piece of trash. And that's just, that's as much effort as you're getting out of me today. <laughs> but he goes from... Well, he also can't go up against the titan like Brad Dourif. Or oh, Jeff Fahey. Well, <laughs> no, but Brad Dourif, like, as soon as Brad Dourif shows up in a movie, you know that it's at least worth watching him. Oh, yeah. He the, like, like I've never seen him in anything where he's not. And this is probably the calmest Brad Dourif I've ever seen. Yeah, but he gets even when he gets drunk, he has a little bit of that Chucky cackle mm-hmm. when he's laughing. So at the it makes bar. me think that he really is Charles Lee Ray. Yeah. Oh, he has to be. But after this bar fight, this is where the movie really gets good. Mark loses his legs. They're just gone. And Jeff Faye, he's like, oh, shit, we got to go save Brad Dourif because I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that someone's coming for that arm. And uh, his sneaking suspicion is right as Brad Dorf gets tossed out a window. And while he's dangling, hoping for help, someone just pulls his arm completely out of his socket like it, it ain't no it thing. Was, yeah, <laughs> it, it's basically like somebody, they super glued it on. You yeah, know? Like, <laughs> it comes off so easily, which either says that this guy is super strong or that that doctor did a very bad job attaching these limbs. But he rips it off. And then we see the killer and he's got this headgear <laughs> on to keep his head on this body. But he's also got this wide eyed, dumb look on his face throughout the whole time. Like his mouth is just a jar at all times. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, oh boy, oh boy. And my Here big, I go again. You know? <laughs> and my big question, this made me so angry, is that Jeff Fahey's like, yeah, he's going to come for my arm. And then the very next shot is he's smoking with the arm out the window. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, why would you not? Who would that? have thought that <laughs> the head on a new body was going to come and then put a handcuff on you and then you'd have a high speed car chase with while handcuffed like the doctor did a great job on Jeff Fahey's arm not such a great job on Brad Dourif's arm she must have fused it with fucking adamantium because that was a very very stressful scene for me to watch because I was like I know that it's not coming off but do I know that it's not coming off? Like, I don't want to see it come off in the car that scene's insane and then there's like so they get he shoots the handcuffs off of his hand and then the killer i can never remember his name but whatever the killer crashes his car his name's also is charles okay so charles he says chuck like chuck yeah chucky said charles lee ray says here's to you chuck and i was like that is so on the nose and i don't even care (laughs) so chuck crashes his car it's on fire again everything he does he's got this head brace on so it just seems awkward to begin with so he awkwardly gets out of the car and then just like throws the legs and the arm on his shoulders and just starts walking away as the car explodes and jeff Fay, he's like i know where i need to go and he shows up at the hospital and this is like the i remember seeing this image when i was watching it on my bootleg like three years ago and being like oh yeah we're discussing body parts at some point 
is he walks into the hospital and there is the living, breathing chest in a glass case with the two legs just kind of kicking there, just moving around. And then the arm is just everything's alive and hooked up to this weird like set of cables to keep them alive. And I was like, what is this? And then he just kind of kills Chuck pretty quick, quickly. Like movie wraps up real fast at this point. Really does. Really, really does. Which is funny because they're trying so hard to be suspenseful, but then they're like, eh, we did enough. Yeah, we've, we look, what more do you want from us? <laughs> from that point, he blows up the body parts, and then, you know, we get a pretty nice head explosion when he shoots Chuck's yeah, head. Yeah, pretty <laughs> excited about that. But then, at the end, it's like, you know, he, he no longer has the homicidal urges because the head's dead. But I, I think it's so funny because the only thing I could think about when I was watching the like basically the epilogue of this movie, which is far too calm. You know, it, it, you need a zinger you need some or a stinger. Rather, you need some sort of stinger at the end of a movie like this. But whatever. His wife's legs are so white, like they're <laughs> out in uh, out at a park or something like that um, to, to denote that it is no longer winter. And uh, there, she has she has her gauchos on or you know whatever and they're rolled up and you can see the pastiest little white leg and this is coming from a vampire like i literally am the whitest guy i know Uh, i mean i'm not powder but i'm close and even i am like this lady needs to get a little vitamin d because she is so so white and she also probably needs to to put some moisturizer on too because they looked a little dry yeah it would have would you have been okay if the movie ended and she comes up from behind, she's like, you're really going to include that last sentence? He's like, yeah, this arm's my arm now. And then all of a sudden he turns around and then with the pencil, he just like starts stabbing her <laughs> to death. And then he's like, what have I done? And he looks, no, what I really wanted was for them to graft the legs onto the mo- onto the wife so that they weren't so pasty white. <laughs> <laughs> Just the all lady up top, all man down below. The ideal woman. (laughs) (laughs) That's how progressive we are in horror movie night. Well, we'll see how progressive we are if Matt keeps that. (laughs) Oh, I will. Uh, So that's body parts. Uh, Double feature wise. I'm not being very creative. There was another VHS box that looked very similar to the body parts box that I also remember from my childhood walking around in the video store. So I would watch the even less entertaining spare parts along with this. Cutting edge and medical terror. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not good. This is better than that. That's what I'll say. So um, I am going to go. I feel bad, actually. Brian, you sure you sure you want me to go next? Because I feel like I'm taking yours if I do. No, no, I, I can assure you that you're not. But it is. Brian in the doesn't know what he's too. picking yet. Yeah, no, he's no, like, I know I'm, what I have. I know what okay. I have. <laughs> okay. It's going to be the same um, style as Scott. Well, I, I was going to go with Idle Hands. Yes. And Did I take it? No, no, no. No, I was going to go with a similar. Because you actually, when you said killer hands, I was like... Oh, okay. I hope that you're taking the other one that I had on my list. I was like, okay, Scott's going to have something. Matt's going to have idle hands. How am I going to have something that I don't think they'll have? And I just went with the monkey's paw because technically the hand is responsible for all the deaths that happen. Oh, well, that's not. I thought you were going to say um, Evil Dead 2. <laughs> oh, no, no. That would be a good one. That would be a good one. <laughs> Well, so I, I one note that I didn't get in when we were actually discussing the movie is that I will forever call this movie 
Turtlenecks, the yeah. movie. <laughs> so many turtlenecks. He only wears fucking turtlenecks in this movie. It was a particularly chilly shoot. I wish I liked turtlenecks. No, you don't. Brian, turtlenecks suck. I, I can tell you from being eight years old in 1990 that <laughs> turtlenecks were fucking terrible. But they're so stylish. Not even a good They are look. not stylish, Brian. <laughs> they are. They are. You have a nice no, little man. turtleneck. Did you have orgasms defending <laughs> turtlenecks? I was yeah. yawning. <laughs> so yes yes so yes it, was just the... it is mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made so we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors check us out at undiscover scripts movies made of paper wherever you get your podcasts free What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute, but first let's talk about this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. There's no way you've been listening to Horror Movie Night without hearing about Best Fiends. Everybody's playing it. And I want to include a little shout out to our listener, Rain. Rain has the honor of being the first podcast listener that surpassed me in Best Fiends. Briefly. Then I put in the time to make sure that I regained my rightful place as the best of the Best Fiends players. I give a lot of credit, though, to my stellar team of characters between Howie, Moose, and Dennis. But don't just listen to me. Build your own team of characters, match up to three or more killers, and defeat these slugs in one of the best games imaginable. It's literally a game for anyone, even you gothy, angsty horror fans out there. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And now, back to the show. So let's talk about some of the shit that we've watched in the last week. Uh, I'm going to talk about something that I was really excited to see in theaters uh, and then, you know, that ain't happening. So yeah. Netflix picked it up and put it on their streaming services. I was very excited to watch The Lovebirds starring Camille Nanjiani. Uh, and it's Ooh. it's OK. Uh, I got very, very excited when the movie started because I was not aware that it was written and directed by Michael Showalter of like Wet Hot American Summer and The Ten. And I was like, "Ooh, this is going to be way wackier than the trailers led me to believe. But the trailers pretty much summed up the movie pretty well. And I think that's my I think that if someone's watching it, having not seen the trailers, they'll like it. 
I definitely feel like it is one of those movies where the trailers, like the trailers literally were showing scenes from like the last 15 minutes of the movie. And like that to me is like borderline unacceptable because I'm watching it. I'm like, there's 20 minutes left and there is a key joke that was in this trailer as a highlight scene that obviously is what the final scene of the movie is now. So uh, if you haven't seen the trailer, go in blind and let me know how you feel about it. But it was, it was a fine, like two and a half star movie. You know, it wasn't, I was not miserable watching it. It passed an hour and 25 minutes for me, but uh, I wasn't like rolling over, laughing my ass off like I was hoping I would be. Bummer. Well, I um, I want to talk about something I watched and then some stuff I read. Okay. Um, and and I did, didn't actually watch watch what I'm going to say here, but I want to know how the asylum has money to make movies <laughs> because I went looking for Pacific Rim on Amazon. Atlantic Rim Resurrection by the, from the Asylum, which I believe is the second Atlantic Rim movie that they have made is there. And there's my first I knew I know what they do. I know that it's just Z-grade film and it sucks. Um but I sat through some of it and just kind of scrubbed through, you know, five or six scenes in the movie because it was free. How does this work? How do they have any money first of all? How do people sit through an asylum film because it's not even like there's you know there's bad so bad it's good kind of stuff that we do sometimes and then there's just bad what is their demographic i don't don't understand how they succeed now i understood during the video rental days when it's like our job is to trick parents into renting the wrong movie like i i got that i understood that where they're like oh my sons love those transmorphers movies and then like (laughs) what the transmorphers and you're like oh well she bought it so she rented it so i might as well finish it but um Yeah, I don't get it. I I know a few people who've made some Asylum movies. I mean, a big part of it is like how cheap it is. Uh, I know my one friend made a movie for them where I believe they were given $4,000 in two weeks to make and edit the movie. (laughs) It could be that. it. But the thing is, is that like this Atlantic Rim movie, right? Yeah. Has a shitload of CGI. It's terrible. But oh, it's and that's, not but that's free why. to make it. So so it kind of is uh, because it's basically if you look at the people who do those movies, especially if you look at like if you if you were to I, I don't have 100 percent proof, but I have a pretty rough idea about this. Similarly to how trauma has been a huge leaping point for like a lot of directors that we know and love. I think Asylum makes similar promises. Uh, oh, but with, they don't follow through. Okay. With, yeah, with less of the follow through. Like, I think they're just like, hey, you're trying to make it in animation. You're trying to make it in CGI. And also, like, it's not like, you know, you go to school, you learn CGI, and then you just, like, show up in L.A. And they're like, well, here's a job at Pixar. Like, yeah. You, like, sometimes you're slumming it and you need to pay the bills. And you're like, you know what? I'll just, you know, it's it's a thousand bucks that's going to pay rent this month. I'll just do this this fucking but I feel trash like it's movie. So much work for a thousand dollars, you know, oh, like for sure. Ask Brian about his editing. How many Brian? How hmm. many times have you done editing for a company where, like, all things considered, you probably didn't get paid nearly amount for what the actual like effort of work was? Oh, most of the time. Yeah, like it's sadly like the video production world is one of those things where it's so much effort, but most people don't really give a shit about how much effort it takes. They just want you to do it for as cheap as you can do it. 
So I, I unfortunately, that is, that is how asylum thrives is on. Unfortunately, this is all we can pay you or you could make nothing. So you make your choice. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like, I don't want to say I blackmail them, but (laughs) in a way, (laughs) in a way I do, because I do like, it's like an additional 200 for for pre-production, storyboarding, scripts, things like that. If they opt out of doing that, then their revisions drop down to one and they have to pay for every revision after that. But that's then, not that's not cheating on, on your clients. That's literally what you're supposed to do. Yeah, like that's yeah. just like that's good business sense on your end. And if they want to be cheap asses, then they that's the way that you can cover yourself yeah like that's that's smart business apparently film yeah. you know all these people go to film school and it is just a way to really build up production companies it's like in order for you to fucking be a filmmaker you have to go to hollywood and do this shitty work to pay off the twenty thousand dollars you just paid us yeah. whether it's pulling cables or making these bullshit things Oh, that well, sucks. And yeah. I'm not sure if you guys listened to the most recent episode of Geekscape that Jonathan did with uh, Natasha from Fatal Collective. Oh, yeah. I haven't listened yet. She's she's married to Sean Gunn. And in the middle of that interview, it turns into also an interview with Sean Gunn because he just shows up. He came he came home from a walk and just sat down and he's friends with Jonathan because they watch basketball together. So they got on to like some geeky stuff about basketball. But they get into the conversation that Natasha and Sean Gunn's careers started with trauma films and, you know, James Gunn's career started with trauma films and they all said the same thing, which is like, you know, people will talk a lot of trash at trauma. They'll talk a lot of trash about how Lloyd is, but if you want to learn how to make the thing that you want to make for the cheapest, like for the lowest amount of money being spent, like there is no better teacher than Lloyd Kaufman or Roger Corman because they knew how to get shit done. And I was like, yeah, like that's kind of, like it, it sucks because, yeah, you look at it and it's like, well, they're not paying people enough. They're not doing this enough. But like, like she said, like James Gunn from like writing Tromeo and Juliet all the way up to writing the new Suicide Squad movie has said the same thing, which is you're the only thing that stops your project from happening. Like you can, <laughs> you can make complaints about all these other things. But if you really truly wanted to make it, you would just pick up a camera, grab some friends and you would make it and then figure out how to do it properly along the way. So like, I I always say like Robert Rodriguez's book is really good. And I think both of Lloyd Kaufman's books, the everything I ever need to know about film, I learned from toxic adventure and make your own damn movies uh, are really, really good books where he like goes as far as breaking down piece by piece. Like this is how much money we put into pre-production. This is how much time we do for pre-production. Like, this is a list of how we do all of our special effects. These are the things you need to buy to recreate those special effects. Here's even cheaper ways to do those special effects if this is too expensive. Like <laughs> it's it's a really good guide to like if you're going to make a trashy horror movie with your friends and you don't want to spend a lot of money, Lloyd Kaufman's book will show you how to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> so we need to read that book. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've got it. Oh, it's great. They're great. No, I mean, and, I need to read that book. Yeah, I also, recommend you and Brian read those books because they're fun. It's been on my Amazon list out of curiosity because I recently watched, uh, rewatched Terra Firma. Yeah, it's based on the, based on, on the that, everything. Yeah. yeah, it's based on everything. Well, why didn't you just, oh, I was about to say, why didn't you just pick Terra Firma like you've been saying you should so that you had an excuse to watch it. But now you have another excuse to watch it for when you eventually pick it for the show. Yeah. I'm going to read the book and then you can be like, well, the book was better. Yeah. Have you read the book? (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. And Scott, actually, speaking of books, you said that there was also some books that you read that you wanted to talk about on top of well, the Well, you don't have to thing. fucking call me out, dude. Like, I said read. I didn't say book. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I guess the book is in the title, but I was, I was cleaning out the basement and uh, organizing my comic books. <laughs> uh, and I was thinking about how much I loved the Phalanx Covenant saga story arc in the X books, the X-Men books, um, when this thing called the Phalanx, which were techno-organic, well, you know, Warlock from the New Mutants was this techno-organic creature that fell to Earth and he was on the team. And then I think he died or I don't know exactly. I don't know the whole detail there, but it became a virus that could infect people. I think it only infected mutants because it was trying to gain their superpowers. And they gathered up the team that would become Generation X, which was my favorite in junior high. Or maybe it's elementary and junior high, but I loved Generation X because they had the coolest powers. Like they were the weirdest powers and therefore the coolest powers. So this was the lead up to it. And I, so I reread a couple of those, just, you know, nitpicking through some of the ones that I didn't remember as well. And then I read the Age of Apocalypse stuff. And man, do you guys remember the Age of Apocalypse books? Nope. When I, it was like an alternate timeline? I remember vaguely. I was I was definitely more of the 90s comic book reader than Brian was. So I, I but I also like I can't remember details, but I remember when it came out and it being a big deal. And I'm sure I read it was like some the, of the summer books. of yeah. whatever, 93, 95. I don't know. But man, that summer was amazing. I spent all of my allowance money on just the Age of Apocalypse books. Side note, just because I saw this this morning and forgot to tell you about it or send it to you, but this topic brought it back up in my brain. I had a friend on Facebook share a drawing today of Wolverine holding a microphone while wrapping his arm around Jean Grey and singing Scotty Doesn't Know. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's incredible. I was like, that is so fucking good. Brian. On to you. What do you have that you've been reading, watching, whatever that you want to give a shout out to? I watched The Lodge last night. And it is like, all right, so there's a room full of sixth graders and they're like, (laughs) let's play Whisper Down the Lane, right? Telephone? Yeah, telephone. Same, same, same deal. So Ari Aster tells Mm -hmm. them the whole pitch for hereditary and then it goes down 26 graders and then the last <laughs> sixth grader takes that and makes this movie and yeah it's it had so many it. opportunities like and and it's and what great. the first the first like 10 minutes is the peak so of that good movie. so good <laughs> and and like there's times where you're like oh they, this had an opportunity to be a good movie and they kind of blew it but like this had so many saving graces that they blew. Like it wasn't like, oh, they blew it after the first 10 minutes. It was like, okay, this, this could be good. No, no, it's not. It almost felt like they were trying to, it it seemed like hammer because it's hammer, right? The same hammer films that we know, or is that just a different company with the same name? I think hammer is like still like, it's almost like the new version of hammer films or whatever. But yeah, I think it is the same production company. Technically. and they're doing they're doing the same thing they did years ago. Like it feel it felt like they were like trying to capitalize on the A twenty four horror movement, but like they didn't understand what what makes it good. And it was like it was upsetting because it was shot great. Um, yeah, it's I saw it at Fantastic Fest, and I remember like I left, and a bunch of people were like, "Wow, that was so good." And I was like, "I my problem," and this is like the 
this I I don't think I'm saying anything that's out of school, and I'll say it in the the simplest way. I had trouble buying into the initial conceit of what leads to the entire movie happening. Like as I'm watching, I was just like, never. Like I'm not a parent, but like never ever would I allow this to happen. So like, well, you don't have to be around the bush. It's in the trailer, you know. Yeah, like like I would never be like as a father. I am perfectly content leaving my two kids who despise their new stepmother and barely know her alone in a cabin for God knows how long just because I have to go do work. Like if my kids were like, I don't want to be here, I'd be like, yeah, let me just take you home because that's fucking weird because you don't know this woman. Yeah, I was very, very upset. Yeah, like from that point on, I was just like, I don't buy any of this. Like I don't buy, I, like you have to, I have to buy into some aspect of the movie to be able to like enjoy it from that point on. And that was like, Within 20 minutes, I was always already like, All right, I'm checked out. And then more things happen that you don't buy into. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's constantly yeah. like, yeah, no. And and like you said, there are so many points where I'm like, ooh, if it goes in this direction, I really, really think this is a, a cool movie. Uh, but if it goes in this direction, I'm going to be really upset. And it almost 90% of the time went into the direction where I'd be really upset. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I remember Ryan, seeing I'll, the trailer. And I was so excited. I think that's why I'm the most upset. Usually when the Fantastic Fest movies are announced, it's all movies that I don't know. But that one I had seen the trailer for when I went to San Diego Comic-Con, they played us like a three minute clip from the movie. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be fucking dope. I can't wait for us to do it in theaters now on this. And then I remember I saw it at Fantastic Fest. And I think I texted you guys and was like, we're not going to do the lodge for in theaters. <laughs> like I was just like, there's Dude, nothing that honestly, we can say to I- add to it. <laughs> yeah, I probably like if that would have been in in theaters and you didn't see it at Fantastic Fest and we saw it Friday to record Saturday, I would probably put a motion to just not record it that that next day. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that's genuinely how I feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's got like an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't get it, but whatever. Yeah. But that is horror movie night. Scott, you haven't seen it yet, right? I have no intention. Yeah, yeah no, you're I, good. All right, so oh, we that, didn't pitch it for you, good. <laughs> no, Matt didn't pitch it for me when he completely lambasted it. Yeah, like you saw it, you saw it, and I don't know if you said it in our. Oh, I commented on someone's message on the group as well on, ah, like, okay. on the Facebook group. Someone was like, "I really like this." And I was like, "No." <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was Body Parts from 1991 is picked by me. If you thought that this was definitely not a horror movie for a long portion of it, just you strap in for next week where it gets <laughs> even more disturbingly not a horror movie. Uh, and we will be back. But until then, go and check out all of our stuff at HMNpodcast.com. All of our links for all of our social media is in the description. Hit up our Patreon, patreon.com backslash HMNpodcast. And we will be back next week with another episode of... Horror Movie Night. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. It is mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free!
What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 